Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to this episode of Believe in Sparks on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Sydney Weiss, and here is Stacy Pace. Thank you so much, Sid. Hey, friends. You know, we're all managing a lot of things right now. Changes, losses, questions, concerns. Had someone asked you in 2015, hey, where do you see yourself in five years? It's likely you never would have said anything based on experiences in 2020. I'm grateful that more and more athletes have spoken out about mental health and shared parts of their personal journey with the world. It helps them to find deeper healing, and it also helps all of us who get to hear their admissions gain strength in many ways as well. As we continue to face uncertainty with COVID-19 and systemic racism, on this episode of Believe in Sparks, we will hear from experts on how to cope with the fear and anxiety in a special two-part panel discussion called Getting in the Zone, Navigating Mental Health and Wellness During Uncertain Times. You'll hear from each of our five panelists who are insightful and honest. This panel is moderated by Rusha Brown, who recently became Director of Community Relations and Youth Sports for the Sparks. We know we are all in a very special space that we've not been in before. Hopefully we'll never be in again. But in the mindset that we need to be in, we just want to address a couple of things. So first, I'm going to give an opportunity for our esteemed panelists to introduce themselves. Hey, I'm Coach Fred Williams, Assistant Coach for the LA Sparks, and I'm um, happy to be here, and uh, hopefully this will be a good good uh, meeting for everybody. I'm Christina Nigue. Um I went to Cal for four years, and this is my second year, and I just got here, so I'm really excited, and I'm really excited for this panel. And I'm Angel Brutus. I serve as uh, Director of Counseling and Sports Psychology with Mississippi State University Athletics Program, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you all today. Hi, my name is Eric Hewson. I'm the founder of an organization called the Same Here Global Mental Health Movement. And if you're around three or four years ago, I was working in professional sports, doing a lot of what Ruja and the rest of the crew here are doing in the front office side of things. Went through a lived experience myself related to mental health and uh, kind of came to the dark side or the light side, depending on how you look at it, um, in, in working on mental health advocacy. And my name is Kenza Gunter. I am a clinical and sports psychologist based in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I work with individual athletes and with teams um, focusing on mental health and mental performance. Um, I also do some consultation with professional leagues. And your guys being here is really important. So what we'll do is just get started talking about the issues that we're dealing with. Uh, we started off with a pandemic in March, dealing with your health. But then we moved into a space of social and racial injustice that has just really propelled our country into a tailspin. And Coach Fred, because, you know, sadly enough, this is not something that's new. I know you have some experience in having been around during the um, Watts riots in 65. So I want to start with you because as difficult as it is in this time, mindset then and how is it different or similar now? Well, it's uh, pretty similar, I think, in a lot of ways because, uh, you know, I grew up in South Central during the riots. I've seen it. I was, I was living on the same street as the fires and, and military people and policemen coming in. The, the big difference back then was that, you know, bullets was being shot. It wasn't rubber bullets. It was real bullets. The military was coming in and, and um, you know, just really taking over a whole city, which is really a, a small city, a small town like Watts, but 
for me, it just brought back a lot of memories to what happened these last few weeks. And, you know, I've been through, uh, you know, the Rodney King riots. And so that was another thing that went up. And I said, now we're in 2020. And 2020 is no joke because it really has shown that the similarities of what we talked about back in the 60s and now what we're still trying to fight for now in the 20s, you know, and there's no, there's no difference, no change right now other than people are really getting out in the streets and voicing their opinions and showing the real fight, let it be black, brown, yellow, green, whatever, everybody's united to make this work and make it happen. And even on the athletic side of things, uh, they are really involved this year. I would say I saw a great picture of Muhammad Ali, Bill Russell, um, uh, and, and there was a couple of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and I'm missing one in there, but that was a powerful picture for me to see the other day that these guys stood up back in the 60s and the 70s trying to make a difference and a change. And uh, for me, just, just to see that and say, hey, we're there now again with the same you know, situation, but I think this time it's got to break and it's got to be a change. Definitely, I think, like for me at a young age, my parents instilled in me that I would have to work 10 times harder just to get like my foot in the door. So it's just exhausting knowing that like, if something happens to a black woman, who's gonna fight for her? Um, and then I had to wrap my head around just to my own reality. And I could have like the same qualifications as someone else, but like they can just be chosen because of their race. The trauma that goes along with, like I said, the pandemic, as well as the social unrest. Dr. Gunter, how can the impact of these current events, what kind of impact can they have on your mental health? Yeah, so you think about the pandemic, right, and the onset of that back in mid-March and the uncertainty that came with that, the increased feelings of anxiety, not knowing, as you said, we're in a very special time. It was unprecedented. That word has been used over and over, but that was the truth of the situation. And so you have this unknown situation that's riddled with uncertainty, increases in anxiety, and people trying to wrap their brains around that. And then the sheltering in place that came as a result of that created isolation and distance from people's social support system and from the activities, their daily activities that might've helped to give them a sense of normalcy and help to ground them. That was stripped away almost overnight in terms of going from moving at a pace that you were familiar with to being shut down in a home that for some was not necessarily safe. I know we had the, the talk initially was home is the safest place to be, but for those who unfortunately experienced violence in their homes, that wasn't safe. So you have all of that anxiety, angst, stress, uncertainty, depression that people were navigating. And I feel like right at the time when people had kind of gotten used to that a little bit and were starting to maybe see some light and thinking about reintegrating into society as places were opening up, then we have the series of murders, including Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, um, and other instances that happened with Christian Cooper and Amy Cooper in Central Park, um, Tony McDade, those situations occurred. And then it was a second pandemic, right? And now there's fear. And as Coach Williams talked about, he's seen this since the 60s. And so it's not just a reaction now in terms of our mental and emotional health, it's not just a reaction to what's happening now, it's a generational and a historical reaction based on everything that has happened prior to this, right? That we've either heard from our families, heard from our friends, or lived and experienced ourselves. And so now we're dealing with the trauma. 
coupled with that. Um, the anger, uh, you know, I, I share with a lot of people, you know, who comment on the riots and the protests. People often show you their anger because they don't really trust you with their fear or with their hurt or with their pain or with their sadness. And so all of that wrapped up in the anger, wrapped up in the trauma, wrapped up in the anxiety, really, I think, has done a number on people's ability to just kind of feel mentally and, and, and emotionally secure because it's an ever-changing reality that we're in. And I really do believe that even as the threat of the viral infection decreases and hopefully we start to make positive social change, the effects on our mental and emotional health may still persist. So really thinking through how we take care of ourselves from an emotional standpoint becomes vital now so that we can have those habits in place as we continue to move forward into whatever this new next will be. But it certainly has been a very challenging time. Even if you've never experienced mental health symptoms before, this has taxed us and challenged us in ways that, that none of us could have expected, but all of us have to cope with. So many valid what you just expressed and you just made me think, and I wanna to come to Dr. Brutus right now and just understanding in these times, we're feeling things we've never felt before. How do you find your voice and really give light to it so that you can cope and deal with these instances? Well, I think finding your voice is definitely the key to, to all of this, right? And so being able to articulate it in any which way that you can uh, with an audience that will listen. Uh, I think it goes back to Dr. Gunter's point in terms of just not knowing from a, a generational standpoint in terms of the different systems that have been put in place and uh, the impact that the intergenerational trauma has had. And, and even with what Christine said about, you know, the messages that you've always been told growing up in terms of you always have to work 10 times harder than the, the person next to you because of your identities that you, you identify with and whatever is salient in that time. I think what's really important is when you're finding your voice, you're also remembering who you are in the midst of this, right? And so understanding what your values are, understanding where your self-belief comes from, because those are the things that can kind of ground you even in the midst of chaos. Uh, one of the things that we talk about all the time, using sport as a vernacular, you know, as an analogy, we are adjusting every time, right? And so sport is very unpredictable. And so relying on those resources and those skill sets that you actually already have, developing as an athlete, as a competitor, nine times out of 10, you can't control most of the outcome, but you can control how you kind of process the information, how you kind of make adjustments and kind of pivot. I hate using that word pivot right now because everyone's using that word. Um, but it really is a part of that experience. And so as a part of that, even if you can't find the words to find your voice, you can tune, become attuned with your body. And so a lot of things that I tend to do is, especially with individuals who aren't able to articulate with their words, is check in with their body. What are those sensations? Where do you, where do you feel those sensations? What's the temperature of it, right? So really getting really one-on-one -on -one with yourself to know exactly where you're holding all of the stressors, all of the emotions, all those things, because not all of us can be able to find those words. But when you do, when you become attuned with your body, then that gives whoever it is that your, your trusted audience is uh, the opportunity to kind of inquire a little bit more and find out how they can meet you and, and also help you figure out what your needs really are. And that way you can kind of develop the words that are attached to it if you can't find them for yourself. That's, you know, it's so important. And, and Dr. Gunter, you mentioned some key points, but Eric, when I come to you, I want, because you shared that you had, you know, an experience where your mental health was challenged and you had to understand and readjust to who you were. And 
like in traumatic times, how did you understand that something was going on with yourself? Because more often than not, especially as an athlete, we think we can fix everything. So in that mental space, what did you do to understand that there was something going on? And then what was your reaction? Well, the honest answer is, and as Dr. Gunter brought up in terms of how many people are being impacted right now across the world because of what we're all seeing, usually when we're impacted, it's because things happen to us individually in our lives, a loss of a loved one, a sick of a sickness of a loved one, bullying, cyberbullying, job loss, et cetera. This is probably the one time in the history of our world where the entire world is going through something situationally and multiple things situationally from different angles, but all at the same time. And so to answer your question, Ruja, like I didn't know at first, right? I spent two and a half years laying in a bed after I had my crash working as the CRO with an NHL team. The reason I laid in that bed is because I thought my way out was by taking psychotropic drug combinations and TMS therapy and shock therapy. I was, I was under the impression that there's some magic pill or some magic treatment that got me out of it. It wasn't until I met someone who helped me, helped me look at my past and this is where my global perspective on trauma and stress really shaped the way that I look at mental health is I had an older brother who from the time I was eight years old for a 20 year period, he broke his femur bone and was in a body cast for a year homeschooled, had ALL, a children's former leukemia for five years, went into remission, flew out of a Jeep, landed on his head, cracked his head open, lost partial vision in his eye, was in ICU for a month. Relapse of leukemia, stronger chemo regimen, sends his body into septic shock in a coma for three months. Finally, he miraculously comes out of the coma and his kidneys fail. And now he needs to go on dialysis. And then finally, my dad donates a kidney to him. Oh, by the way, three of my close friends passed away from heart conditions in their 20s. And I, I don't share that to get a sob story. And obviously, you could tell how quickly I list all those things. It was because my perspective on what mental health is changed tremendously from that point. Because when it was explained to me that I had this front row seat for watching other people in my life go through challenges, and by watching people go through challenges, those things were impacting my mental health, and that it caused to the point where it built and it knocked my tower over, my, 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 my I guess, perspective became there's not a single person in this world who doesn't deal with major stress and traumatic events. So why is it that we talk about it in binary terms of there's one in five people mentally ill, but that must mean that the other four and five people are what? Healthy, normal, fine, and okay. No, that's not the case. Mental health lives on this continuum. So to bring it back full circle now to your question is, I didn't know it. I had to learn it by going through it and doing it the wrong way. And then when I realized how life experiences impact us, I'm, I'm agreeing with everything that I'm hearing from the other panelists in terms of what we are, have lived through right now. I, you know, I, I read these articles, Wall Street Journal says one third of people now admit that their mental health has been impacted by COVID. Let's just take COVID alone by itself. Who are the other two and three people who are saying that mental health, their mental health hasn't been impacted by COVID, right? And that's just COVID alone, let, it, let alone all the social injustice stuff that we're going to talk about. So, so yeah, I mean, Coming from the perspective of looking at life through the lens of challenges and through the lens of obstacles and obstacles that sometimes impact us, but even if they don't directly impact us, we're seeing it through our loved ones and our family members. I don't know a person on this earth who's not fluctuating somewhere on that continuum right now that allows us in a way, I think, like we've never had this opportunity before to be able to connect and open up and share and have a conversation that makes it a lot more acceptable than it's been in the past. 
Um, Dr. Brutus, you talked about um, in an earlier conversation about what leaders can do to make sure that we are being able to affirm our environments and just figure out what our new normal is going to look like. How do we kind of support individuals with this re-socialization, but really honing in on the affirming environments, right? And so I think as coaches and as leaders, it's, it's necessary and it's also incumbent upon us to be able to be ready to listen. Um, again, it goes back to what my answer was earlier about, you know, some students, some athletes might not be able to fully articulate what's going on with them, but it's up to us as the leaders and in, in individuals within organizations to be able to pay attention. Um, yes, we, you know, you still have your jobs to do in terms of the tasks that are assigned and the X's and the O's and, and things of that nature. But if this is not an environment that athletes are returning to where they are affirming their experiences, uh, if they're not affirming their identity um, development, then it's all going to be in vain, um, especially with so much going on, you know, especially, you know, the, I love how Dr. Gunter just kind of eloquently, you know, identified like we were in one pandemic and then there was like this intersection that happened and now it's like, you know, it, it was one thing to say, uh, these are uncharted ter territories, but then now you have this historical presence as well, and that can't be ignored. Um, any leadership uh, that expects for athletes to return to an environment and go about as business as usual um, probably is not tapped into what the realities are right now. And I'll just be very blunt in saying that. Well, I think she said it best that you you know you have to listen to each and every one of your players, your staff members, um, and you know, just kind of come together collectively as a team, uh, not only just about basketball, but just as people, and just be really concerned with what's going on in, t in their lives on a daily basis. Um, you know, even though we're getting ready to start up and, and get back at it, we're still a few weeks away from making that happen. But um, I know that every every team is, is trying to collect their players together and get their get their thoughts and their minds right. It's, it's going to be a forefront for us as a collective unit, uh, especially starting with the Sparks and then with the WNBA, uh, having a voice, you know, and what more powerful voice than have uh, the young ladies on the court uh, putting that out there on a daily basis to the public uh, versus just being on a, a call on Zoom or on Instagram or a, a hit and miss interviews here and there. That is, it's more powerful when you're with a group and to be together to get pull through this and pull the country through this. And if we can do that as coaches and as athletes, then I think we're going to save a lot of lives and we'll make a, a big difference in what's going to happen towards the future. The future is, you know, I've seen the past and I've seen the present and me, I'm going forward to the future and you got to keep walking. You got to put your footprint in the sand so people can walk behind you to make some things happen. Thank you, Coach. And Christine, I want to come to you. Now you're coming into a new city, excited to be on a new team, and the circumstances are less than ideal. So how do you deal with all these things? I'm not going to be able to help anybody if I don't help myself first. Um, and I've been quarantined, I, I live with my mom still. So like, obviously, like, I don't want to go outside and bring anything back to the house, you know? So like, I'm, I've been stuck inside and I've been using that time to journal, meditate. Um, I've dealt with panic attacks. So like, I didn't want to, I didn't want that to be like a reoccurring thing. So I had to like really dial in and meditate more and journal more and reach out um, 
and like in the past I've been really embarrassed to reach out for help and ask for help and I know um being younger I didn't even know what anxiety was I was like I that that just felt normal to me just feeling intense emotions all the time and putting a lot of pressure on myself but as I've gotten older I've just been able to be more vulnerable and um reach out to people and ask for help and especially during this time like it's just really crazy for everyone and adjusting to a new team. I've been traded twice now, so it's not easy. Um, but I feel like it just made a whole, like I came back home, I came back to California where I'm comfortable and I'm just really excited now. Yeah, I think we have this notion when we think about um, success and we think about um, achieving a goal, we think that that comes um, when there's an absence of adversity. And no one who's achieved greatness, who's done remarkable things, has done so in the absence of adversity. They've been able to navigate the adversity and continue to move forward. And so I think it's kind of reframing it in that way in terms of thinking about, yes, now this is a challenging situation. 2020 is on a different level, I think, for everybody in a number of ways. And even in that, there are still opportunities. And so one of the things that I sometimes encourage people to do is every day, I need you to be able to, to identify one win, one highlight, one point of gratitude, something that you are grateful for, something that was, was un, remained unchanged in the midst of everything going on. There are things that are unchanged in the midst of everything going on. It's okay to also feel like there are things that in ways in which you might be thriving. I think for a, for a time there, we felt like everything was so heavy and new and unprecedented and, and, and difficult that to say, I'm a, I'm a, I actually feel okay today. Like I think people had a hesitation with saying that, right? Because of everything that was going on. And so I think really being able to identify those small wins, those moments where things are okay, or you feel like you are making progress and re redefining what progress looks like for you as well. I think that's how you find the opportunity within the challenge. It's not ignoring that the challenge is there, but it's still recognizing the forward movement that's happening in the midst of the challenge, right? Because we can look at the situation that we're, that we're facing now as far as the social unrest and the tension. There are numerous challenges that are faced, that have been faced and will continue to be faced, but the fact that people are willing to listen and are willing to engage in some level of education, that they're willing to potentially hold and try to see from a different perspective than they ever have before. There's an opportunity in that, that emerged directly from the challenges and, and the pain that came out of those experiences. And so I think sometimes you find what you're looking for. And I don't think we often look enough for those silver linings or those, those opportunities to grow. And so that's, I think it's a mindset shift, but I do think if on a daily basis, you can identify something you're grateful for, a win, or identify a way in which you felt like you maintained yourself today, or you grew a little bit today, that can help you with identifying the challenge. In my case, learning breathing practices of all things, right? I was sent to go learn how to breathe properly and then understand the science behind how breathing properly changes the vagal nerve in our, in our in our neck and when the vagal tone actually loosens up it tells our body that everything is okay and when now we're able to focus on things beyond the immediate threat that's in front of us and so when i learned that breathing practice and continuously did it for 30 days without having any positive results i woke up one morning and it was like a light switch had gone on for me 
just being able to look at the television and say, I want to turn that on right now and I want to watch the TV. Just being able to go downstairs to my kitchen and say, I've got a craving to make scrambled eggs for breakfast right now. Those sound like the simplest things in the world, but when they've been taken away from you for two and a half years, when you get them back, they feel like miracles. And so, you know, I know uh, Dr. Gunter described it as a mind shift. It, you know, in a similar way, I think of it as perspective, right? And our greatest superpower as human beings that we can all gain, I think that's why the comment was made earlier about, you know, everyone's been through adversity, who's had, who, who, anyone who you see with success has been through adversity is because it's being able to take that shift and say, look at where I was, look at where I am right now, look at the difference between those two. And wh where I wanted to go back on what Dr. Gunther said was, was really, really strong there is, let's take COVID, let's take the social injustice things out of it for a second. On an average day, if someone comes up to you and asks you, Ruja, like, how are you doing today? And you're not doing well because something in life one thing was bad. Let's say, you know, you had a fight with your boss, right? Like something that's so common. You internalize that. You, you're now portraying to the person that asked you, ah, things aren't so great right now. But then if you think of the boxes or the bar charts of the things that go on in your life, your family's healthy, right? You still have your job, right? You, you, you still have your car. You still have your insurance. You still have your general physical health right now, right? Um, you're still working for the LA Sparks, which is a dream job that a lot of people would have. You still have this persona as someone who, who played in the WNBA when it first started. We as human beings, we take the immediate thing that's in front of us, and that ends up pervading the entire way we look at things because the, the emotion of that one main thing then all of a sudden shades everything else out. And I think it's what Dr. Gunther was saying in terms of at least one piece of gratitude, but 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 let it be known that there's multiple things that we can have gratitude for that helps us escape from that one negative thing or multiple negative things that might be happening right in the moment. And Coach Red, I want to come back to you because like our women that have played on this team are now moving into a space where they have to snap back and be ready to perform on the court. Christine, it's go time, so you got to be ready. But with that being said, and you even have a history with working with players that have um, experienced mental health issues, how do you keep them on track to do their jobs, but still approach them as humans and deal with the issues? Just, uh, you know, stand focused every day. Um, and, and this is no lie. I mean, I've, I've had some players who went through a lot of things publicly and, um, you know, we just kind of kept it really in-house, close-knit as a group, as a family, with our staff. But it, it started with me as a head coach in the past teams I was with and just dealing with a player, not only during the season, but the off-season and just uh, listening to them. You know, uh, sometimes they didn't want to go to the outside to get help and the help they were looking for uh, for them was, was me. So what I did was... I just really, really gave them a lot of nourishing during the off-season of talking with them, listening to what they had to say. Um, you know, if they had some type of thing that came up that, that was really pressing, then I would, you know, I, I would recommend things to them, like to see counseling or see somebody. But they were really afraid of that just because of the publicity they may get if it got out. Um, I, I handled it in, in another way too, was during the course of the season, was then again, 
was just having the time spent of talking, spending five, 10 minutes playing rides, talking about things. And a lot of it wasn't about basketball. It was about things personal in their lives that they opened up to me about, which they knew was gonna stay in and be very you know, confidential. And that goes a long way with players. You know, um, every player that I've, you know, coached, as you know, as Hall of Famers and, you know, Olympians, everyone's got a story. And sometimes it's a good story, and sometimes it's a bad story. But they will not come to you if they did not trust you. And I felt that as a coach since 1983, I've been in the women's game, I just know that you have to have more one-on-one -on -one uh, attention off, off the floor for us talking with them uh, and just listening to their story or what's going on in their life because it's more than the wins and losses. It's more than that. It's about them going ahead and, and, and flourishing to be the best they can be in their life. Sometimes that comfort level is only with people that they know, people that they want to, you know, that they share experiences with. And Dr. Brutus, you mentioned something about the ability or opportunity to cross interact. How can that help our athletes as they're moving into a space of trying to gain confidence in this new space? Yeah, I think it's crucial for athletes to cross engage um, outside of their particular team with other athletes across different sports as well. Um, just to be able to continue to develop and grow their perspective of what it is to, to you know, navigate this world of athletics. I think Christine kind of touched on something earlier about, you know, this is like she's been traded several times. And so there's a certain level of power dynamics that are always at play that we have to be mindful of uh, when it comes to, you know, dealing with the athletic culture. Um, I'd be remiss to, to not identify that there's a system structure there. And so being able to, to really be able to navigate all of these different things while also having the, the weight or the burden of knowing that there's some uncertainty there in terms of maintaining a stable um, place of being able to be identified with and affiliated with, I think can't, can't be overlooked as well. And so it's great, you know, what Coach Fred said in terms of having that personality and that relationship with your coaching staff, but also knowing that there's a possibility that they might not be there uh, physically for long. And so having to constantly understand the, the, the possibility of navigating different systems at different times from a mental health perspective, that there are three things that we're always looking for specifically with our athlete population when it comes to mental health concerns. One of those is, you know, sense of belonging. Uh, having an idea of knowing that at the end of the day, I have a sense of community. The other thing is a sense of burdensomeness, right? At the professional level, at some point, sport com competition now has implications for your, your well-being. It has implications for your ability to provide for yourself, right? And then the, the third thing that we always look at is, you know, the athlete's, you know, ability to condition themselves uh, to increase pain tolerance. These are three things that they're constantly interacting and engaging. And so if those things are elevated or threatened in every, every sense of the way, then it gives us an opportunity to kind of look for those flags and being able to identify with the athlete even prior to them articulating that there might be some need to have help. And so one of the ways to kind of mitigate this sense of disconnect or the power dynamics that can be at play for the potential for being traded and things of that nature, again, it goes back to cross interacting with different athletes across different sports in different teams. I realized that I'm really passionate about women's rights and I'm really passionate about even like domestic violence. And I'm really passionate about child abuse. And um, I know 
like I can't be afraid to be I can't be afraid of speaking out on that because I my platform is the only way people have access to me that don't have, that don't really know me so I've spent this time just really trying to figure out how I can help those communities in particular because I feel like people even despite everything going on right now those people are still struggling like they go home and they know that it's not a safe space for them and they can't go outside of home just because of everything going on things aren't open and like it really just breaks my heart because like they like they don't have an escape I, I get to go play basketball like I get to go in this I get to go two months in Florida with other athletes and play basketball and and that's like a whole, that's isolation, but it's, I still get to be with people. I still get to be in a safe space. But those people in particular, they don't have that. They don't have a safe space right now. And especially if they're depending on their um, parents that are supposed to protect them, but they can't. And so they're forced to go out and get jobs and um, kind of like struggle alone. And that like is a sensitive thing for me. Um, and I'm really just dedicated on after basketball, like just really committing to those spaces. This social unrest impacts everyone differently and we are all in a different space. How can you, as an ally, impact the lives of others to help people be more educated and to impact this change that we're desperately seeking? So I think the first piece is, if I'm gonna be an ally, I need to do the work myself, right? I can't start telling others what to do unless I'm doing the work. So. We, we had a, I think I shared it with you. We did an event last night. So I have a lot of friends in the black community. You hear that all the time. Like, oh, like that's the, the check mark that they're on our site. No, what, what I was saying is through my friends in the black community, we created this idea called same here is the name of our organization. But then we played off the here, hear us out. Right. And the hear us out was there's allies in the white community and the black community who are going to talk and talk about some of what are we comfortable with? What are we uncomfortable with? What do we understand? What do we not understand? I can tell you, let's, let's start with education and schooling for a second and then how we ourselves actually can, can, can make ourselves better allies. Like the requirements for what we learned about systemically what goes on uh, uh, and what has gone on for 400 years, it, it, I don't think we learn to the extent that we should all the history that goes into this, right? And I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna speak in generalities right now, but I don't think it's so far off from this. We have a black history month in school, just a month. And in that month, it, the, the, the timeline goes something like this. There was slavery, right? Uh, and, and you find out what started happening 400 years ago, but you don't hear about all the great things that were happening in Africa with those folks before slavery started. Okay, so let's start with that being an issue. Then you hear about 1865 and the Emancipation Proclamation and how you know uh, Abraham Lincoln was such a great president because we had a civil war and, 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 and 13th Amendment comes about, okay? And then you hear like a little bit of unrest and then it's like all of a sudden we zoom to Rosa Parks and, and Martin Luther King Jr. And it was like, well, there were some things left to clean up and so they were activists and they helped us get to a better place and bing, bam, boom, we're better now. No, that's not the reality, right? And so, you know, doing, doing my own reading and educating and, and looking back, finding out more about Plessy versus Ferguson, right? And what separate but equal really was back then and how it impacted our country. Looking at how our country took advantage of the Plessy versus Ferguson decision 
and then started implementing more and more laws around the whole Jim Crow laws, right? And and creating really a, a country divided, even though it's supposed to be a country that was united, they're using the laws through what was passed in the Supreme Court to allow systematically things to continue to be, to, to be made separate. I love this episode so much that we're splitting it into two parts. Eric, thank you so much for that. And if you aren't familiar with the Plessy versus Ferguson case, it happened in 1896. Please research this. It was a landmark decision of the U.S. Supreme Court, which upheld the constitutionality of racial segregation laws for public facilities as long as the segregated facilities were equal in quality. It's a doctrine that came to be known as separate but equal. The decision legitimized the many state laws reestablishing racial segregation that had been passed in the American South after the end of the Reconstruction era. The story itself about Homer Plessy is very important to know. And thank you, Eric, for bringing that into our consciousness and for just sharing all your wisdom. And that's for everyone on this panel. Christina Nigue, Fred Williams, Dr. Kenza Gunter, Dr. Angel Brutus, and Eric Cusin. Thank you so much for being part of this. And Rusha Brown, thank you for being a brilliant moderator. And thank you all for taking part in this panel, an important discussion, a conversation that needs to continue. Thanks again for joining us for this very special two-part series in our panel discussion. We'll have part two on our next episode right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Don't forget to rate and subscribe this show on iTunes. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at SweetBaby24. And you can follow Stacy Pates on Instagram and Twitter at Stacy Pates. Thank you for listening to this episode of Believe in Sparks on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Sydney Weiss for Stacy Pates. And go Sparks! Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.